1: Tonight on Fast, we are all over the major sell-off on Wall Street. Stocks plunging as a meta meltdown rocks a broader market. The Nasdaq handy in its worst day since September 2020. But check out the after-hours action in Amazon, Snap and Pinterest. Those stocks are rocketing higher on earnings. The calls for Snap and Pins underway. Amazon's kicks off at the bottom of the hour. Traders are standing by to break down all this action. Joining us tonight, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. But let's get right to that developing story on Amazon. Deidre Bosa's got the very latest. De.
0: Melissa, Amazon first, raising the price of Prime Uh, yearly will now be $139 from $119. This is the first price increase since 2018, and it goes into effect after March 25th for existing members. Huge net income number for Amazon, but that was largely thanks to Rivian. Of a 14.3 net income, $11.8 billion came from that stake. The CFO warning that that could lead to volatility on the P&L in quarters to come. In terms of segments, online sales grew just 1% year over year, but they did break out advertising services for the very first time. This is a nearly $10 billion business. To give you some context, that is bigger than Alphabet's YouTube business, uh, which many had been fawning over earlier this week. I asked CFO Brian Olsowski about any Apple privacy impact Essentially said that there was none. The opportunity for advertisers is unchanged. Amazon, of course, helped by first party data like Alphabet. Unlike Meta, AWS, that's its cloud unit, grew 40%. So the rate of growth in this unit is increasing, even as this is the biggest player, even as the competition has become fiercer. Subscription services growth, that was actually decelerating, which may be why uh, they're raising the price of Prime. Osowski saying, though, that revenue per Prime user has increased significantly over the pandemic. As you said, Melissa, that call kicks off in about 30 minutes. We'll certainly be on it.
1: All right, Debo, thanks so much. Deidre Bosa up 18.5%. Was a quarter that good, Guy? No,
2: but, I mean, I'm all hyped up here on Mountain Dew, but you're asking me. Listen, it's exciting. <laughs> I mean, a 20% move yesterday, a 20% move today. Everything's normal here in Fast Money Land. No, the quarter wasn't that good. I mean, I understand what's going on here, and I think, you know, if you look at it in context, I mean, we're back where we were on January, I think, 13th. People got themselves offsides in the stock, clearly, probably on the back of what we saw yesterday with Facebook. But in terms of the quarter, yeah, it was fine. I mean, but they missed on revenues. And, oh, by the way, they actually guided lower for next quarter on revenues. Okay, they raised prices for Amazon Prime. That won't affect me because I have no idea what it is. Um, But if you look beneath the hood, I mean, it's a fine quarter. And it just gets us back to where we've been, quite frankly, since July of 2020.
1: You know, it's funny that you mentioned the guy, I mean, if you had given me all of the data points about Amazon's quarter and said, guess what the move in the stock would be. I'm not sure. No, I'm absolutely sure that I would not guess up 18 and a half percent, Dan Nathan. So what is the quarter really? And is the stock showing us what it is worth at this at these
3: levels? I don't think so. And I think in the context of the broader market and what we've seen in tech in particular over the last, let's say, couple months, at least in mega cap tech land, do you think that this stock deserves to be unchanged on the year right now versus a NASDAQ that closed down 11% on the year? I don't really think so. But there were definitely some bright spots. I mean, listen, you know, sentiment was very poor headed into this. You know, when this stock fell off a cliff at 3200 bucks maybe a couple weeks ago, it was already down at least 10% from its 52-week and all time highs made over a year ago is lagging many of the mega complex peers or so You know, that advertising number that Debo just said, they broke out nearly $10 billion in the quarter, growing at least 30% on the year. That's not far away from the way their cloud is growing. That cloud number, close to 40% growth. I mean, that's pretty astounding. It's the fastest quarterly growth, I think, in nearly um, three years or so. So there's definitely some things that you can look at and say, I want to be constructive here. I think the retail, the uh, e-commerce sales up 1% year over year, not great. I mean, it shows you that there's a lot of competition all over the place. So. Listen, I want to be constructive on the stock. I think the sentiment was already poor headed into the malaise that it was in over in January. Okay, so it was out of favor relative to its peers. Um, But there's nothing in this quarter. And I don't like this move. This move is a classic bear market rally move. And it's not something you should be buying up 18 percent, in my opinion, given the market environment.
1: And we showed you the massive moves from the other earnings reports. Um, that we're going to get to in a a minute. These are not moves that we typically see. I mean, we've been in this business following the markets, trading the markets, you guys trading the markets for a long time, Karen. I I don't remember days where we see this snapback in market cap so suddenly and so dramatically um, in in just hours here. What did you make of the quarter? And also as a secondary question to you specifically, Karen, how should we think about that Rivian investment in the fourth quarter because Rivian has been a dog of a stock in the, uh, this quarter.
4: Yeah, so I don't know where the mark to market was. Um, that, that support could very well be down. I think we should ignore it entirely. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've chosen to do. And uh, if you take that out, obviously the quarter looks very, very different. But it doesn't look bad. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that we're having these mid-teens moves down and up on a stock this size is, is, as you said, is pretty extraordinary. I do like AWS. I thought that was great growth. I'm not so concerned about their guidance. They tend to guide sort of, well, all over the map. And, you know, it's sort of, I, I, I feel like they just put in a really wide margin of guidance, and I don't really focus on it so much. I thought AWS was really good. And if you think about the 20 bucks of, Increase in prime—that's gigantic in terms of just dollars to the bottom line. Now, obviously, they faced a lot of the costs and the labor issues that and supply chain issues that everybody else faced, probably writ large because they have almost one and a half million um, employees. But um, they're in a good position to navigate that. So, I kind of liked it when you put it in context of the stock's gotten crushed this year, and it didn't have a great year last year. And on the heels of, you know, particularly today, on the heels of Meta from yesterday, you know, it was, uh, that, that was plenty good enough, this earnings.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly this is a, up 17 percent is a sigh of relief, a, a huge one at that, Tim. So what do you think investors are most relieved about when it comes specifically to Amazon?
5: Well, look. The, the fact that this company can turn on the profitability, and yes, we we'll, let's break down that operating income number. Karen has done that. It, it's not anything extraordinary, but but I, I think there's relief that first of all, you know, some of the things that we're hearing uh, on the, the the comments from management are that um, revenue per prime user dramatically increase increase and outside a guy who who guy you could probably order some fresh a track tapes off of prime I, you know people who are using prime are using it more than ever and there is stickiness there is pricing power i love the fact that they can raise fulfillment rates too they've already done that five percent um that's going to be three to four billion uh, in, in additional profitability i i just think that uh, look if you think about amazon in the world and I think we need to think about a lot of these companies. And I've been wrong about Amazon for three or four months. I've definitely been constructive, and it's been you know it's been tough to watch. It's been somewhat painful. But um, again, a stock that's underperformed the Nasdaq by 25% in the last 12 months. It's a stock that, if you look at you know back to uh, a peak level that it hit in the summer of 2018, um, it's it's basically annualized at less than 11% as the world has has gone e-commerce bonanza. And yet the U.S. retail sales are still you know around 20% in e-commerce, and they dominate this space. So what, the fact that the company can now show this kind of profitability, they have ridiculously tough comps that are about to roll off. Um, the, the move surprises me. But the fact that you should be constructive on Amazon here doesn't surprise me. And, and I think, look, I like the stock yesterday. I like it more today.
1: The setup is probably the most important thing here in terms of trying to figure out whether 18 percent, 17 percent is warranted. Guy. And Tim had mentioned the underperformance relative to the Nasdaq last year, and that is a setup. So with that backdrop, is Amazon the stock, the big cap tech stock that you want to own in a volatile market? Because it has been an underperformer, and it looks like it can put up the numbers.
2: Look, Dan had the ARP trade because he wanted to make fun of me at the end of last year, and I think (laughs) one of the A's in ARP, I think there are two, is is Amazon. And I happen to agree with him for the back half of this year. And I'm not trying to throw cold water on this thing. All I'm trying to point out is the fact that, and I think Tim just did it as well, this stock has been sideways now for the better part of two years, and we're right smack in the middle of the range. And to your point about the setup, you're right. I mean, in retrospect, the setup was tremendous. I would have said the same thing about Facebook 48 hours ago, that the setup for Facebook looked great in the earnings, and look what happened there. So, you know, in retrospect, and sort of, and I'm, and, and I'm doing this to myself, Monday Morning Quarterback, I guess, is easy, um, but I thought the setup for Facebook was great. So today, Amazon scared the you-know-what out of me, given what we saw. And I think, again, back to my earlier point, that's why people got so off sides today, specifically in the name, as they pressed it down. Mm-hmm. Now they're all racing the other way. The negative gamma in the stock is um,
1: rearing its ugly head. All right. Uh, we are tracking the after hours action also in shares of Snap and Pinterest. Both are surging after their reports. Julia Borson. Yes, Julia.
6: Yes, that's right. Both Snap and Pinterest shares soaring after both reported better than expected top and bottom line results. Snap grew its daily active users a faster than expected Thirteen million, adding a million more than expected. You see, Snap now up 56%. Is revenue and user outlook also exceeded projections? CEO Evan Spiegel saying that macro headwinds around supply chain and labor disruptions are unresolved, and they're making progress to navigate the Apple iOS platform changes. Though he says it will take at least a few more quarters to advertisers to build full confidence. In new measurement solutions, he did say, though, that the company's direct response ad business began to recover quicker than expected. Uh, And you see those shares skyrocketing on that optimism about Q1. Now, Pinterest, on the other hand, instead of adding the five million monthly active users analysts expected, it actually lost 13 million users in the fourth quarter. They said that was due to the pandemic easing. But the company also indicated that user trends are turning around, with the addition of nearly six million users just in January, saying the pandemic unwind would be less meaningful after March. They did warn, though, that the macro environment for consumer products advertisers, those headwinds could persist persist for a few quarters still. CEO Ben Silberman on the call just now saying they are hopeful though that new video features will help increase engagement. Pinterest shares up 27%. Melissa.
1: All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, with the latest on those two reports. Again, massive moves uh, on the back of this. Karen, when you take a look at Snap and Pinterest and then you compare that to Meta, does it make Meta look worse? Does it not matter?
4: well I it matters, I think it makes meta look worse um, it, it however um those meta being so bad allowed this kind of gain off of what what were good numbers for both snap, particularly snap and pinterest pinterest as well as their ARPU for both is higher, so that's very good um, actually facebook's was as well but when you back when you look at the valuation to me. You know, these are very, very different animals. But, I mean, kudos to Snap. They navigated this very well. They, You know, we talked about how much trouble they had with privacy at their, at their last quarter, and they seem to be really making more headway here than, than Facebook. One thing I want to point out about Meta, though, everyone keeps talking about how, you know, TikTok's eating their lunch and all of that, and I believe TikTok is a very, very serious competitor threat, all of that. But you've got to think about why is Zuckerberg saying that? Right. I think twofold. He wants to energize his team. But also, if you're under antitrust scrutiny, you should talk about how big a threat your competitor is. Right. How scary they are, how difficult it makes things. So just want to add that one point.
1: Oh, that's a good conspiracy theorist theory for you. Um, Dan Nathan, you know, Karen is mentioning the valuation difference between a snap at a pins versus a meta. But, you know, one could argue that it's because a snap at a pins are showing growth, in the part of the market, in the demographic that is so sought after these days.
3: Yeah, well, when you look at Snap's expected growth for 2022 in revenues, it's expected to grow 33%, 44% next year. So you can get behind that, trading about seven times um, sales here. And as far as earnings, they they appear like they're about to inflect or so. So this is one that you know I've tried to be constructive on of late when it fell off a cliff like it did over the last few weeks. You know, I wasn't touching this thing when it was down 30, 40%. So when, I think it's really important for listeners or viewers at home to also understand. When you're down 40%, you get cut in half again, and you get cut in half again. And that's the sort of market that we were in right here. So the fact that they've put up better user growth, I think is really important. Better um, ARPU is really important. It seems like they did kind of get a bit more comfortable with some of the changes as it relates to the iOS system. But none of these companies are out of the woods right now. I mean, it's really important. Rich Greenfield was on um, the show earlier, The Closing Bell, and he was talking about how you know Snap versus TikTok, they're just different platforms, right? Snap's a messaging thing uh, versus TikTok, which is really entertainment, that's fine. Except that if you have daughters or teenagers in general, and you see how they spend their time on these platforms, it's more about the attention economy Mm -hmm. than it is about what they're using it for, in my opinion. And so, Snap, with a revenue base of like five billion dollars, we just talked about what Amazon's ad revenues were—nearly ten. They're still just a blip right here. So they're really going to have to grow uh, users aggressively over the next few years to justify those valuations.
1: Yeah, and Zuckerberg did talk about that, uh, that, that uh, competition for your attention uh, yesterday on the conference call. That was mentioned, certainly, Tim. So how do we view this? Because everything, I mean, you can argue that Netflix is also facing the same competition. All of it falls into the bucket of everybody wants the younger demographic. The younger demographic has got lots of places to direct their eyeballs these days.
5: But they're not the same company, and so not even the same comment that Dan was saying. I'm just saying that that they have different revenue streams, they have different margin profiles, Um, And that's why they're trading differently. I think it will be and it has been a great stock picker's market. It will continue to be. I mean, Pinterest has more growth than any of its peers and and yet has also proven since their IPO that that the wild swings in in their revenue numbers quarter to quarter um, are things you should probably expect. And, and, you know, you get to a case, it comes down to what are you willing to pay for these stocks in this marketplace? And and that's really what this comes down to. Facebook's always traded at a discount. Uh, Pinterest, even before, before the, um, you know, so before the snapback today, even after pulling back, I don't know, 72 percent or something from March, um, was trading at six times sales. Is, is that a good number? I don't know. Um, but I can tell you that there's a lot of these stocks that are not still cheap, but there's companies that I think have more growth than others and that are in different businesses and different margin profiles. And again, look, the, ad, the digital ad growth and the world of e-commerce and the, the, the online engagement, um, look, th- these are trends that are fantastic for these companies. So um, if you think about it, and not all of them, but I think there's, there's a case here to be made that you have to really understand which company is doing what.
1: The reaction, of course, in the after hour session that we're seeing, the, the dramatic reaction that we're seeing, of course, is a reaction to what we saw in the regular session, Guy. And so let's fast forward a week from now. How does this all shake out? And what is, what is the message that we're getting out of earnings season for the social media stocks?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's winners. I mean, we say this a lot, but now you're seeing it um, really present itself. I mean, if you miss, you're going to get punished. And if you come in, you know, better, you're going to get rewarded. And just to put it into context, again, Dan pointed this out, but, you know, SNAP's moved 50% now in the last half hour to the upside. It gets us back to where we were three weeks ago in terms of the stock, just to show you how decimated some of these names are. Now, just quickly in terms of SNAP, because julia mentioned it we just mentioned Arpu. that was a really good number i mean four dollars and six cents was better than the street was looking for and it's up from i think three fifty five same quarter last year so the business is getting better but the stock moves just illustrate in my opinion how offside the entire market has gotten i mean stocks of these size and just again my opinion should not move twenty percent in the matter of minutes it speaks to what's going on i think potentially in the broader market
1: yeah Um, But here we are. And that move is uh, sparking a big move in the after hours session in the queues. Of course, we had a terrible day on the Nasdaq, Nasdaq 100 specifically. But the queues after hours are up one point nine percent, nearly two percent. So a big about face from the decline of about four percent following the drop on meta earnings. So did we just see Amazon and some of these other social media stocks save the tech trade? That's what it looks like at least so far, Dan.
3: I don't think so. I mean, I think there's something broken in the markets here, and I think we're all talking about it. I mean, the fact of the matter is we're talking about like Snap and Twitter, the two companies are expected to have a combined $10 billion in revenues, about five each this year. And Snap just gained Twitter's market cap in the aftermarket, Okay, So listen, you can say it's a short squeeze, you can say it's a bear market rally. there are some fundamental shifts that have happened that we've learned on these reports I just don't think that you're gonna have three companies gonna save the market now last week what did we say Apple Microsoft their earnings and guidance they put a floor on the market the Nasdaq was down nearly 20% from its highs in November but it did it momentarily if they can't hold and I got to tell you on a Friday tomorrow if you want to buy this market you think it's gonna go rip-roaring into the close and close on the highs I just don't think so Um, so you know to me it didn't save anything something's broken in the market until we start to see really a basing of some of the most hard hit names over the last year, not these mega cap ones that just started to go down. But we start seeing some of these ones have been down 50, 60, 70 percent over the last year or so. I just don't think that these mega caps are going to do it right now for us to put a bottom in this market.
1: Karen, how are you feeling about the markets overall at this point in time, seeing that we've gotten all the mega cap tech stocks reporting?
4: I mean, it's interesting what a mixed bag it was, Mm -hmm. right? Normally you would have sort of a higher correlation. So that's interesting to me. It does sort of, one thing I thought today that the VIX would be a lot higher, right? These are, I mean, these kind of moves are gigantic. And I agree with Dan and and both Guy and Tim that, you know, something feels a little bit off here, but I am not a market timer. So I'm not going to be, you know, selling everything and looking to buy it back cheaper because I'll never be able to do that. I'm just, you know, it's kind of nauseating, but, uh, you know, I'll take a little Dramamine and live through it. I like <laughs> what I own. I know it can go down, but and if it gets cheaper, I'll probably buy more. Yeah. Tim?
5: Look, uh, you know, I think the VIX is too low. Uh, I look at some, some credit indicators. They're starting to give some ground. Look, the uh, high yield index is at 15-month lows or wides uh, in spreads. The world's not falling apart, but... But what's the impact on consumer spending? That's something also I think the market is is concerned about, and the market is trying to front run the Fed, and the market is trying to get some sense of what happens when we actually get past these fantastic COVID comps, when the consumers, uh, you know, gone through its pent up explosion. And when you actually have a dynamic where we've blown through the euphoria of stimulus and, and some of the dynamics of COVID. And, and I, I think that's really what the market is trying to do right now. So it's been a incredibly volatile week to speak to the to, you know, an understatement. And I think you have a case here. Um, let's see what this jobs number is tomorrow. I think people are starting to worry uh, about the economy. And I think that's, again, that these growth stocks, if they don't grow, they're not even close to being worth what they, where they are even now.
1: Yeah. Although, the, although there are these growth concerns, Guy, we didn't even mention the 10-year yield creeping up to one eight four percent in today's session.
2: No, we didn't mention that. We didn't mention energy, which continues to do the creep. I mean, there are a lot of things, obviously, that, you know, we're not trying to bury any leads this week. This is the lead tonight, Amazon, and all the things we've talked about. But, But again, below the surface, there's some damage being done. And this will sort of assuage your concerns for a day or two. We'll just see how long it lasts. I'll mention this as well in terms of why the VIX isn't higher. I saw a note, I think it was from Goldman Sachs over the weekend, how people were just loaded up in terms of volatility and input protection. And maybe that slowed things down, and maybe that's why the VIX, VIX is not exploding to the upside. But, again, I think that's somewhat short-lived. It's right to point it out, but I don't think that's over yet by any stretch.
1: All right, coming up, we are waiting for Amazon's call to kick off. We're dialed in, ready to bring you all the big headlines. It gets underway in about eight minutes' time. But first, we're tracking the after-hours action in shares of Ford. They're under pressure on earnings. We've got the very latest when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ford. The company's call is underway. Philip Bozeman listening in. Phil, what's the latest?
7: Uh, Melissa, Jim Farley, CEO, just talked uh, a few minutes ago. He's going to have the analyst questions shortly, but he wrapped it up by saying emphatically, we are through with the incremental improvement. We'll have more about his comments in just a little bit. Let's first talk about the numbers for the fourth quarter. That's the reason the stock is under pressure right now. It was a miss, 26 cents a share profit versus the expectation of 45 cents. Revenue a little bit lighter than expected. Immediately, people are saying, wait a second, where's the disconnect here? What did the analyst miss? And we had a chance to talk with the CFO, John Lawler, just a few minutes ago, and we said, what did they get wrong? And he said, I think they might have been a little bit aggressive in terms of their expectations for fourth quarter sales, as well as pricing on vehicles, maybe a little bit too ambitious in terms of their expectations for Ford. So that's their explanation for what Wall Street missed when it comes to the fourth quarter. But really, 22 guidance is what this is all about. Look at the EBIT adjusted, 11.5 to $12.5 billion. That would be an increase of 15 to 25% if they can hit that mark. They are also expecting a margin of 8%. However, there's a big headwind out there Commodity costs. In fact, John Lawler talked about that during the conference call. He says that uh, they're going to be facing those costs of perhaps rising one and a half to two and a half billion dollars. He also told us that the launch of the F-150 Lightning remains on track. Remember, that's expected here in the second quarter, or and there's no exact time when that's going to happen, but it does remain on track. Also, they expect pricing to remain strong on all of their vehicles for 2022. Now getting back to the call, Melissa, I mentioned that Jim Farley had some strong comments at the very top of it the first thing he said is we are through with the incremental improvement and i know there are some people who will sit there and say what does that mean he said their goal is to improve their auto ebit emissions all auto ebit emissions even as they ramp up battery electric vehicle production and sales quite a challenge given the fact that pricing and and the cost of the battery pack that's expected to weigh on margins at least early on as they transition into electric vehicles. Call is continuing. We're going to hop back on. We'll let you know if they have anything else to say. Melissa, back to you.
1: Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau on the Ford conference call. Sounds like Farley is setting the bar kind of high, Tim. What did you make of this quarter?
5: Well, again, first of all, for, for folks who feel like they missed this story as it rallied well into the you know, the mid-20s, here's your shot. And, and there was nothing in this quarter that should surprise anybody. Higher costs shouldn't surprise anybody on an outlook into next year. Um, the fact that chip shortage cost them uh, it, you know, basically EBIT, EBIT profitability in Europe, no no surprise there. Uh, the fact that you've got still an EBIT issue, no surprise. Uh, F-150 on track, great news. Demand uh, and, and diversification of the product mix, um, extraordinary. It's a uh, you know at seven and a half times EBITDA business or a ten times uh, earnings number for this company, so not expensive. Uh, I just think that if you're disappointed by these numbers based upon some things that are are, are shorter term dynamics versus the medium to long term trends for Ford um, at this multiple, uh, this is this is what you've been looking to buy.
1: Karen, what did you make of the quarter? And, and is that four percent down not warranted?
4: Well, I agree with Tim. It's that. This quarter, it was fine. I mean, it was a slight miss of Europe seemed to be the problem there. But I agree with Tim. That's not the story at all. This past quarter is not the story. And, you know, if they're obviously making a gargantuan change to the DNA of the business. And if we see the F-150, if that product is a hit, that will be far more important, even though the dollars at the beginning might not be huge, but it'll be far more important that whatever slight miss, commodity costs, headwinds, whatever it was, happened this quarter. That will be a game changer for Ford. So I agree with Tim. If this is what you, you know, if you feel like you missed it, you can start buying tomorrow. All right. Coming up, we're continuing to monitor Amazon in the after-hour
1: session. Shares continue to surge after reporting earnings. The conference call is about to kick off. We'll bring you the details. Do not go anywhere. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Welcome back. Another check on shares of Pinterest and Snap in the after-hour session. We're seeing Snap uh, with that astronomical gain of 56%. Pinterest is up, uh, not too shabby, 21%. Joining us now is an early uh, investor in Pinterest, Rick Heitzman of First Mark Capital. Rick, great to see you. Um, great seeing you. you. These moves are just staggering. I mean, then you add in Meta and the move that we saw in today's session, down 26%. You see the move in Amazon why do you think there is such volatility gripping this corner of the market?
8: Well, I think 2022, as you've seen from the market correction, is going to be a kind of a year of discrimination. And I think when you saw with Meta was a lot of disintermediation and a lot of competition, especially from TikTok and a lot of their demographics. And, you know, Facebook is largely a messaging platform and a short form video sharing platform, whether it be with Facebook or Instagram. And then you think about Pinterest and some of the other social media in broadly plays, and they have a different utility and a different use case. Users use it for different things, and therefore they're able to monetize differently and obviously show better results.
3: Hey, Rick, it's Dan. Thanks for joining us. Hey, listen, so when you think about just some of the, you know, indiscriminate selling that we're seeing, you know, it started out maybe a year ago in some of these SaaS names that were kind of the winners of the pandemic. And you saw it definitely in some of these marketplace names. What are some valuation metrics that you'd like to think about in enterprise? We talk about price to sales all the time. Is there levels that are going to be like, okay, no matter what, you got to get in, you got to start buying these things that are down 30, 40%. And is it different for consumer um, social names?
8: I I think it's different for each of those groups and probably in sub-segments. As we talked about before, this is the year of the business model and discrimination. So not even all consumer Internet names are the same. Uh, But I would say in general, about 10 times revenue which is kind of even below, I think, Pinterest and Snap, even after the adjustment, are trading at a, at, a, at a lower multiple than that. But even as you think about some of the other names that are rallying around AWS, if you, if you think about this, the snowflakes of the world, you're seeing that those, those multi, even though the stocks have been beaten down, those multiples are still in the low 20s, which are at kind of below historical average for in, in, uh, infrastructure software companies.
1: How do you think about TikTok, Rick? I mean, that was cited specifically by Mark Zuckerberg a number of times mm-hmm. during the conference call. And, and especially in relationship to, to Pinterest or a Snap. And I understand the use cases, as you said, are very, very different. But still, it's all about the competition for attention. People have limited exactly. amounts of time. Um, and so whether it's short form video or, or finding a recipe, I mean, it, it's, all, it's all time spent.
8: It's all time. I mean, Reed Hastings famously said his biggest competition is sleep so you know we only have so much attention and there's only so many platforms we could parse it across i think pinterest and snap both mentioned TikTok in their earnings calls today. And as you think about TikTok, it's the first time in 20 years that Google wasn't the most used site and wasn't the most used app in the world. It's now TikTok and ByteDance. So, you know, they're taking a tremendous share, especially in the younger demographics, which consume most of the the digital media on the whole. So I I think you're seeing... um, Meta, whether it be Facebook or Instagram, being eaten up by that, obviously the company's not public yet, so you're not, you're not able to me- measure metrics apples to apples. But I think TikTok is, is an incredible threat to Facebook at a time where they're not going to be able to buy, to buy that competitive threat the way they did with an Instagram or even a WhatsApp.
1: The Commerce Department right now is weighing proposals to increase oversight of foreign-owned apps like TikTok, specifically, Rick. Um, Could that actually help slash save some of these other social media stocks if regulation came down hard?
8: I, I don't think it, it can. I mean, it'll affect ownership, but at least, you know, looking around, you know, at the kids in my house, you know, they, they love TikTok. They don't care who owns it. They, they love who the creators that are on it. They love the format. So, you know, it doesn't really matter for the users. And that engagement is only becoming um, more, more heavily increased. So although it might prevent a Facebook or a Google from buying TikTok, it's not stopping that consumption pattern by users, especially the youngest users.
1: Rick, it's always great to get your insights. Thanks it's so much. Thanks seeing
8: you, Thanks Rick Heitzman,
1: First, Mark, uh, Guy. I know that um, you know you've liked Pinterest for a long time, both as a user uh, and as somebody who, who watches <laughs> stocks.
2: I was early. I was early user, adapter of Pinterest. As a matter of fact, I think the first time Rick was on the show was the day that I set up my Pinterest account. But what he points out is completely accurate. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not going to use the word failing, but I will use slowing, and I think, in, again, in retrospect, it's pretty clear why Facebook was so quick to change the name of the company, because they want to obviously be associated with something else now, as that business slows. It makes sense, but doesn't mean these other businesses aren't viable, and I think Snap is showing that, just in terms of the metrics, specifically the fact that they are be able to charge more per user. So good for Snap,
1: bad for Facebook. Karen, by the way, did you buy any more Facebook today? Or meta,
4: I should say. I didn't. No, I wouldn't. You know, I'm trying to be more disciplined with the three-day rule. This one, I feel like it really does need a shakeout. I'll probably be up tomorrow just on the heels of, you know, a sort of a snapback rally in the space. But no, I'm sitting it out for a little while. All right. Coming up, Amazon's earnings call is now
1: officially underway. We'll bring you the fresh commentary on the quarter next and later. Call a doctor. Big Pharma stock's feeling under the weather today. We're breaking down the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, a tough day for Big Cap Pharma. Eli Lilly and Merck closing lower after reporting better than expected fourth quarter earnings and revenues. The catch, the guidance, 2022 forecast for both drug makers leaving shareholders wanting more. What's the trade here, Guy Dami?
2: Both stuck in the mud. I mean, although Merck has gotten off the mat in a major way, but again, this $80 level has proven to be sort of sideways. Lilly really hasn't done much now in a while. Bristol-Myers tomorrow, that's the interesting one to me. We've talked about it for a while this 66 level has been huge resistance. I think they're going to come in, you're going to see about 25% EPS growth, probably 11%, 12% revenue growth. I think, I think that's going to be enough to take the stock to the levels we haven't seen in a couple of years. So Bristol, I've liked for a while. It stopped here at 65, 66, but I think it plows through.
5: Yeah. Tim? I like Pfizer next week. And I know, you know, it's, it's had a big run year over year. It's outperformed other big cap pharma. But I think that COVID franchise, on top of capital deployment dynamics, I, I think are also very important. And remember, the mega cap pharma names have been not just you know, defensive because they, they have shown growth in a handful of cases in their pipelines, but also because they're not biotech stocks. And, and, and there's been such a difference between these asset classes that are so different. Um, but when you think of the market we're in and allocation, you know, healthcare, and big cap pharma continue to be a place that's very conservative. And I think Pfizer's going to show that next week.
1: All right. Coming up, we're starting to get some action out of Amazon's call. We are dialed in. We'll bring you the very latest next. Plus, more on the meta meltdown, what we spotted in the options market today that could point to even more pain ahead. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon surging after hours. The conference call is underway. Let's get the very latest from Dia Bosa. Debo.
0: So, Melissa, they are just getting into the first question, but CFO Brian Olsavsky, who runs the call, started it off by talking about thanking employees and also talking about AWS, pointing out that it is now a $71 billion annualized run rate business, up from $51 billion run rate one year ago. That's AWS. He also called out Meta and a few others as long-term strategic customers. He also noted that there's now 1.6 million Amazon employees. That is doubling in a two-year period. He also just spoke about that prime price hike, uh, and he's going through different offerings on the platform to justify that price hike like originals and, of course, Thursday Night Football. I will get back to this call and look at the questions and bring you anything as I hear it.
1: All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Let's bring in Gene Munster, managing partner at Loop Ventures for more. Um, Gene, great to get your insights here. How should we think about the guidance? Because, I mean, the quarter looked fine it looked great. I don't know if it looked up 20 percent or 13 percent great at this point, um, but that the Q1 guidance was a miss. And so why are investors looking past that?
9: Well, I think it's a reaction to the state of where the market was at. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's less about what the fundamentals are. I'm in the same camp as you, Melissa, of given this press release and asked what the stock would have done. I would have expected it to be down on this. And so I think you are seeing this bounce back. But my attention as I start and listen to the call uh, shifts are actually away from March into the June quarter. We now have March guidance. But the June quarter, uh, CFO was just outlining some headwinds that are going to persist not only in March, but in June. For example, they've had this surge in unit growth that has created operating leverage, a positive leverage in their fulfillment centers. He said that that is going to start to Moderate uh, Unit growth was only 3% in this most recent quarter. It will probably be flattish to down in March. And then you lose some uh, margin, uh, a positive tailwind. Also, this is pretty boring, but it is important. They're changing some of their depreciable life on their servers, which can have a little bit of a headwind to EBITDA in the March quarter. So to answer your question is, how do I feel about this? I start focusing on June, and I suspect that this 17 percent growth that the street has for uh, the June quarter is probably a little bit too rich, given some of the commentary.
4: Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Uh, I know there's a lot of pieces here, but how do you think about how to value this company? you got some great businesses and some low-margin businesses. Put it all together, what do you, what do you think it's worth?
9: Well, I think uh, over the next few months, I think there's probably more downside than upside. And specifically, for me to get a good, solid uh, view of what this is worth, I have to get a better understanding of what their operating model's at. And we continue to see these wild swings. We have to obviously back out what happened with Rivian. They guided lower for the EBITDA contribution for the March quarter by about 50% versus the street. That's what they typically do. But I don't have a good answer. I think that this is predominantly going to be uh uh, still a theme based uh, stock i think that uh, to try to do some of the parts with their advertising business i think that's probably why they're breaking it out to give investors a little bit more uh, framework to try to build a stronger valuation case here but it still is rich in my opinion this is a great company long term this is a winner they're on the positive side of the ledger when it comes to fang they're an infrastructure company they're not uh, a attention company, like some of the other content related. So I'm a long-term believer, Karen, I'm not answering your question. Cause I just simply don't have, uh, the, the guidance or the, the framework from an uh, earnings perspective to get a good solid answer.
1: Gene, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on the, on the huge swings that we're seeing in market cap for some of these big cap tech names. You're in big cap names in general. One is in general for some stability, And this is the exact opposite of stability, what we've been seeing in the past couple of days.
9: Investors want to sleep well at night. And I think that that speaks well to why Apple is and will continue to do well, is that they'd been, I think, villainized for many years for having a hardware and software business. And and here it turns out it's more of a a sleep well at night uh, investment. So I think that that's one of the the key pieces here. And I think that part of the sleep well at night is this noise. There's the fundamentals that we usually have to navigate. But now we have the noise of the market. And what is a rule one minute is a different rule another minute. And I think I look to the Fed to help uh, moderate this. I think when the Fed gives some uh, more clear direction, and whether it's uh, five rate hikes or one rate hike, it could be either of those. Uh, We're going to get some employment numbers tomorrow. But I think until we get some clear direction one way or the other, from the fed i think the market is still going to be um uh quite wild and i would just kind of anchor back to what are the companies the the companies that are foundational i think mm-hmm. that uh, apple's a foundational google the oxygen and the internet easy to say it after this earnings i think amazon long term is one of those companies but they've got to work through some pretty big headwinds in the first half of uh, 2022 before i think there's some stability in their share price
1: gene thanks gene munster luke Thank ventures you. What, in your view, Dan, is foundational? I mean, it's an interesting notion that Gene puts out in terms of investors want to sleep well at night when they're investing in big cap stocks and big cap technology. So is what we've seen in the past couple of sessions make you think that Apple is much more attractive now, that Microsoft is much more attractive now?
3: Well, I understand why investors are flocking to them. They had good quarters and they had good guidance. The stocks have been relatively stable, especially relative to many um, of the other names, let's say, within technology or so. But I'll tell you this, if you were worried that six or seven stocks three months ago were making up a majority of the performance, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, and they made up about 30% of the S&P 500 and 50% of the NASDAQ 100, You got to be more worried now because we actually, and and Gene just mentioned what the Fed, whether they're gonna do one or five hikes, no one's gonna know and they're not gonna tell us either. And if the assumption is that they're gonna continue to raise into a slowing economy and we've seen weaker data of late, well then ultimately you're gonna see Apple and Microsoft, you're gonna see their business slow down a little bit. So to me, it becomes a bit more dangerous as you see more crowding and fewer names.
1: Coming up, meta misery. Options traders are betting on more pain ahead for Meta. The details next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market side in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back. Another check on how Meta closed out the session, dropping a whopping 26.4 percent. The name seeing a lot of options activity. Mike Coe here with more. Mike.
7: Seeing the most options activity is actually the busiest single stock option in the United States today, trading over 2 million contracts. And on balance, net-net, the options market got shorter by about a billion dollars worth. And an example of one of the bearish bets we saw was a buyer of 6,000 of the April 240 puts, paying about $15.80 of material premium bet that obviously the weakness here could continue for the next few months.
1: Wow, Mike! Thank you, Mike Coe, for More Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show that is tomorrow, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. Welcome back. The chairwoman is making a new investment today. Karen, tell us about it.
4: Yes, yeah, so it's the uh, largest uh, raise ever for a woman's uh, professional team. It's the WNBA. I'm really excited. I think we're at an inflection point for the WNBA. They have uh, new guidance from Kathy Engelbert, who is the new commissioner. She was the CEO of Deloitte. And I'm just excited to be a part of it. I'll take you to a game, Mel. We'll go to Liberty game. Come on. You'll I'm like it. there. It's fun. I am They're there. amazing athletes.
1: I guess Guy, Tim, and Dan can come, too. Final trades, Tim.
5: Awesome, Karen. Uh, the garbage man is passing on inflation to you and waste management benefits. Thank you.
4: Karen. Yeah, Tim touched on it. HYG. I think it's a good hedge. short the high-yield index. Dan.
3: Yeah, EA, Electronic Arts. Lots going on in the space. Had a good week, actually, believe it or not. I like EA. Guy. Karen can drain it from
2: three, by the way. I've seen her play basketball. If you're selling forward, you're looking backwards. If you're buying it, you're looking forwards. I choose to look forwards.
1: All right, see you tomorrow for more Fast at Five. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts
0: right now.